We are in our series on holiness and righteousness, and we have been kind of camped out a little bit in math in Mark chapter 12, um, because that's that's kind of um, where our starting point is. In order for us to really get a good grasp on how do we become holy and righteous in the sight of God, what are the things that we need to do? Because we know that uh, a lot of the stuff that we do on our own isn't going to produce holiness and righteousness in, in our own selves because, let's just face it, we know ourselves all too well. We understand who we are and how we think and the way that we work through our daily stuff. And a lot of times we never, we really don't think of ourselves as being holy. How many of you walk up to somebody and go, Hi, my name's Holy Ken. And they say, Holy cow. Right? Or you just walk up and you go, I am so glad I am a righteous son of God. And they go like, because we don't think in those terms. But yet, our Father in heaven, he calls us his children. Paul says that, that we're saints. How, how can you be a saint and not be holy or righteous? You can't. And by the virtue of what Jesus has done for us, we, we stand in God's sight in our relationship, he sees us as holy. That's our position. Holy and righteous. Experiential. <laughs> our experience is that sometimes we really make a mess of stuff and we're not that holy or that righteous. And so we wonder how does it all play out so that we, we start to live into who God has called us to be and who Jesus has made us to be. And so we're, we're here in Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 12, and this is what, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, because if you kind of think about it, to really be righteous or holy, you, have, you should probably know what the greatest commandment there is in order to come to God with an attitude of holiness and righteousness. And so Jesus' response was this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. We've heard that. We've heard that. If you've been in church even a couple of times, you may have heard that. If you've read through the Gospels uh, in, in your re Bible reading, or you've come across something, there's a good chance that you've heard that that's how you're supposed to love God. But what does that really mean? Well, we've already taken a look a couple weeks ago what it means to love God with all of our heart. And, and what we came to the conclusion is, is that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the source of my joy, the meaning in life, my identity. And I worship, trust, and obey God over everything else. That's how we worship God with our heart. And the way that we worship God with our mind is to keep our focus on the reality of who God is. That means we take... Uh, Control over our thoughts and our thought process. We take control over the things that we allow ourselves to think about. And then we start to think about the good things about who God is. In all of His glory. In all of His splendor. We think about His goodness to us. And we worship God with our minds. And we love God with our minds. You know... A lot of times when we start talking about how we love God, 
like with our, our hearts, our souls, our mind, our strength, our being. We, we kind of like to build a compartment for this. Because we say, this is how we're supposed to love God. <laughs> how, do you love, how do you worship God? If you're going to love God that way, how do you worship God? You worship God with your heart, with your mind, with your strength, and with your soul. How do you obey God? You obey God out of your heart, out of your mind, out of your soul, and in your strength. Everything that we do in relationship to God falls under this category of what Jesus says here. That we should love God. We should worship God. We should obey God. We should walk with God in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, and with all of our strength. That is what it means to be a Christ follower. I don't know how you get around it. I don't know how you try to manipulate your day or your thoughts or your attitudes or the things that you do, or the things that you say, or the places that you go, how you try and manipulate all that stuff and, and, and call yourself a Christ follower and not follow, as Jesus says right here, in loving God. How do you do that? How do you live a life that says, I'm a Christ follower without following this greatest command? I think if you try to do it, you're going to find yourself... Maybe beating your head against the wall. So we've kind of looked at a couple of these. Jesus said that we are to love God with all of our soul. Now, you didn't know it, but you're having a test today. So I want you to find a pen. And I want you to get a piece of paper. You guys didn't come prepared, did you? You know what you're going to be doing after school, right? I'm... All right, listen. You only have one question on this exam. I want you to define soul. What is your soul? Now, hand them into the middle aisle. We'll get the ushers to pick them up, and then we're going to read your definitions of them. I'm just kidding. You guys can relax over here. I was pulling your chain totally. High school guys are going like, get me out of school. <laughs> All right. That, you know, trying to have you define soul is like trying to have you define obscene. It may be a little bit hard to define it, but when you hear it, you know it. Right? Here, here's where we're, we're going to go. We're gonna, we need to know that in order for us to really step into understanding what it means to follow God, to love Jesus, to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit with my soul. We need to have a good idea of what that looks like and what the Bible has to say about it. Now, here's the, here's the great thing is, is that God created the soul of man. When, when, when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, it says that God took for Adam, he just took the dust of the ground. He formed Adam. He formed this body right here out of dirt. I'd like to see a scientist do that. Right? And then what did God do? Breathe life into it. You see, that's really what soul comes to. When you think about soul, the definition of soul is life. 
So, you can, we can have all kinds of discussions about this. We're not going to call it arguments because in this church we don't argue. We have discussions. But my position is, is at conception, there is, as soon as there is life, there is a soul at conception. God created this little soul. When that God created that life in the womb, that's what the psalmist tells us, is that, that, that God knit me together in my mother's womb. God's the one that did that. And in that knitting together, he gave a soul. That, that person has a soul. Now, here's the really crazy part about having a soul. You can have, there can, there can be a body laying here, and it can be soulless. There's no soul there. Why is that? Why is there no soul? Because they're dead. The soul is gone. And so you have, you have this body without a soul. But you cannot have a... Well, let me put it to you this way. Let me go back to somebody smarter. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You are a soul. And guess what? That soul that's been created by God is an eternal soul. You're not eternal like God because God always existed and God will always continue to exist. You have not always existed. Uh, You know, for us, we say that our birthday is like maybe today or maybe tomorrow. Somebody's birthday might be tomorrow. I don't know whose it could be, but it might be tomorrow. That's my birthday. That's the day I came out of my mother's womb, right? It's tomorrow. But here's the crazy part. If you're Chinese, it's when you're conceived that your birthday is. You're one year old, basically. When you come out of the womb, they, they say you're one. You're one year old when you come out of the womb if you're from China or maybe even Southeast Asia. I don't know about all of Southeast Asia, but I know about China. Is that when, you come, when you're born, they go, happy birthday, you're one. You go like, woohoo. I get a birthday cake just for coming into this world. We have a body. We are a soul, but we have a body. Now, sometimes it's a little bit hard to get our hands and our heads wrapped around all these things that that are talked about in the Bible. But I can tell you for sure there are only two things, um, and Phil mentioned this this morning. There are only two things that are ever going to last forever. This, this earth is not going to last forever. Just read, read some of that stuff down in Revelations or you go to Ezekiel or Daniel or Jeremiah, Isaiah. You'll find out that the, this earth is going to come to an end at some point. It is going to be no more. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to give us all things brand new. But here's what's going to last forever. The Word of God and the human soul. The Word of God and the human soul. And since you're a human soul, you should probably get to know the Word of God. Because those are the only two things that are going to last forever. Now, listen, you know, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He got a resurrection body. You know what that means? That means that if you are a Christ follower, you're going to have a resurrection body. You are going to have a new body. You will kind of look like you look because Jesus looked like he looked. 
But yet he was, had this new body, one that, that had, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more, you know, no more gout, no more inflammation in the knees, no more zits. <laughs> I know you high school kids are going like, woo, finally. <laughs> You're perfect the way that God meant for you to be. And, and this, means that every single person you meet has an eternal soul. People that give you, take your money at the grocery store and put your groceries on a bag, they have an eternal soul. The person that cuts you off while you're driving, they have an eternal soul, and sometimes you want to send that eternal soul to Riverton, don't you? But there is every human being who has ever lived is a soul. And those souls, every single person, every single person. You know someone that's gone before you have passed away. We call it dead. They've died. They've gone. Where's that soul? That soul is going to be in one of two places. Only one of two places. It's either going to be in heaven with Jesus for eternity because they recognized that there was a debt that had to be paid in order for them to, to get to that place. And so they accepted the gift of having that debt paid for them by Jesus. Or there's the other people who are going to try and pay their own debt of sin. And if they try to pay their own debt of sin, they're going to end up in hell. The Bible's very clear about that. If you're with Christ, you're in heaven. If, you do, if you're trying to pay your own debt by being a good person, by doing all the right things, by trying to uh, create your own sense of holiness, you're doing it yourself. The Bible makes it really clear. You're in deep trouble. And there's only one way you can take care of that. And that is by recognizing what Christ has done for you. You can't do it yourself. Bible's really clear about that. In 1 Peter 1, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now that imperishable seed that has been planted in you, Jesus gave a parable about that in Matthew uh, chapter 13. And you might remember it, it's the, the story of the sower. And the sower in that story is God. The seed is God's word for salvation that he brings through the Bible. And the soil is the, is the soul of man. And so what happens in that story is that God sows his seed into the lives of people, into the souls of humans. And in some places, that's when God brings him the, the seed of the gospel of good news of Jesus, it's like dropping it right here on this floor. It's on a rocky soil is what the Bible tells us. 
And it takes no root. It hits the ground, it bounces around, and the next thing you know, a bird comes down and eats it up and it's gone. Then the other one is you have this other soil that's a little bit more more conducive, and so the plant, the seed falls into the cracks of this hard soil. It takes root and it grows up, but within a couple of days it's withered, it's died, and it's no good. It's done. It was bloop, boop, bump, gone. Then there's others where, this, where the, the seed gets planted into the heart and they're really on fire and they're really going like, this is great, I'm growing in Christ. But what happens is, is that the weeds come in and choke it out and kill it. And then what Jesus said is there's this soil that is just right for the seed. It's been tilled. It's been worked. It's ready to receive. And it, the seed drops in there. And it produces a harvest of a hundred or sixty or even thirty fold into that life. Sometimes what we have to do is we have to go as God has, has been scattering the seed in, in a broad way and we know that it's been hit. Maybe it's been, we need to maybe pick it up and transplant it into good soil. Into the soul that's ready to receive. In Romans 8, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, the, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also glorify with Him. Now here's what I want you to understand is we've been talking about the soul and that every person has a soul, but yet there are, other, there are people who are spiritually Alive, and there are other people that are spiritually dead. We are a soul. Guess what? God is not a soul. He is spirit. The Bible tells us that. We have a spirit that, that is... Every, I believe, and this is, this is where I come in, I believe every human being also is given a spirit. And when they come into the reality of who... God is, when they come into contact with the living God and God does something in their heart, He quickens that spirit alive. We become alive spiritually. And that's, that's how we see this right here in this Romans passage is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself, bears witness to with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, the Spirit of God keeps reminding us that we are indeed the children of God. The Spirit of God does not remind those that are not spiritually alive. He can't tell a soul who is spiritually dead that they are a child of God because then the Holy Spirit would be lying. So the Spirit is the element in our lives which gives us the ability to have an intimate relationship with God. I want you to... Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he does not 
He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. In other words, when you start to understand the spiritual truths of God, even though it may be at a very small level to begin with, when it starts to make sense to you, that's because the Holy Spirit of God is teaching your spirit what it means to be alive in Christ. If you're having a hard time understanding spiritual truths, you may want to have a talk with God about that. You might want to start asking Him, why, God, is this so hard for me to understand? Why is this so difficult for me to grasp? Because if the Spirit of God discerns this to those who are spiritually alive, we should be understanding. Now, I'm not saying we understand fully all the time because the Bible says that we don't. And that's why we have people who help us to understand. God gave to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and preachers and teachers as gifts to equip the saints for good work. That's what the Bible tells us is that we've been, we are to equip one another for this thing. And, and the equipping part means that we're learning something that we didn't know already. But the way that we learn it is, and it sinks into our heart is because the Holy Spirit's also involved in the process. The reason that we have our soul, then we become spiritually alive, is that it, our soul is what connects us with God. Because God himself is spirit. John chapter 4. But the hour is coming, Jesus said, and is, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Did you get that part? The God is seeking those who are spiritually alive and want to worship Him through the spirit and in truth. He's seeking you. So when you come to church on Sunday, you're not coming here by accident. You're not showing up because somebody told you to get your hindquarters to church so that you can be a good person. Even though you may come under duress, even though you may come because you feel obligated, the Spirit of God is pulling you to this place so that you can come and learn the truth about who God is and by His very nature, being spirit, he will minister to your spirit. And then you come alive. And then you know the truth. And what happens when you know the truth? He will set you free and you will be free indeed. The soul, as with the spirit, is the center of many spiritual and emotional experiences. There are a lot of people who have um, spiritual experiences. A lot of people have all the time. And sometimes that's all it is, is just an experience. When your soul and your spirit are connected together and you have something going on, 
It's not an experience. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's an encounter. You have an encounter with the living God. It is absolutely going to change your life. You will never be the same. You are going to want more. You will never be satisfied with what you had. You will always want more of God. You, you can tell the people that have experiences because all they want is another experience. They keep going back and trying to, to, to relive that experience in their life. But when you have an encounter with Christ, you walk away from that. And what you want is you want more of Jesus. You want to have more encounters with Jesus, with Him personally, with the Spirit of God coming on you in such a way that your mind is absolutely blown and you just kind of get all excited about everything and you're like, man, i got to tell somebody what's going on, what's happening in my life, how the Spirit of God is quickening me alive where my receptors, my ability to understand who He is and what He's saying to me are more alive than they've ever been before. And when that happens, your, your world is going to get flipped upside down. You will never look at anything the same way as you did before. And that's where God is calling us. He is calling us to step into that. But listen, the soul and the spirit are connected, but understand this, they are separable. Are separable. That's what it says in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Get this, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit and of the joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. (laughs) That's what the word of God does because it's alive. Because it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because it does what God intended for it to do. Your, God's going to, when His Word comes into your life and you know it, it separates your spirit and your soul. And you feel something inside of you, a renting inside of you. All of a sudden, it's, it's the discernment between your thoughts and your intentions. Because your intentions and your thoughts can be two totally different things. As my professor in college used to say, after a lot of people would come up to him and go like, hey, Prof, can we get an extension on that paper we're supposed to write? I really intended to get it done, but man, I'm just swamped. I've got a girlfriend now. And here's what the prof would say in front of the whole class. Good intentions paved the highway to hell. No extensions. Good intentions pave the highway to hell. Your thought is, I've got a good intention to do what Jesus wants me to do, but then all of a sudden that good intention gets sidetracked or derailed because you've had another thought that is not under the control of of worshiping God with your mind. Remember, taking every thought captive. And it gets derailed. And so what, what the Bible tells us is that the Word of God is living and that it separates it piercing and separates the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The soul is the essence of being human. It is who we are. The spirit is the aspect of humanity that connects us with God. So, we're to love God. Here's, here's kind of where it boils down to. We're to love God with our passions, 
hungers, perceptions, and thoughts. We are also to love Him with how we talk and what we do with our hands and how we utilize our talents and how we react to challenges and circumstances. Our entire being is to display that we love God. And here, God and only God can forgive us of our sin, the sin of our heart, the sin of our soul, the sin of our mind, and the sin of our strength. He can eternally forgive the sins of our heart, mind, strength by redeeming our soul. Our calling is to receive from Him this gift. As we do so, He will begin to grow within us holiness and righteousness. The ability to really love, to really love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength will never be done perfectly here. That only comes into play as we step out of this world with our soul into the presence of Jesus. Then, and only then, will we worship Him perfectly. Until then, we're going to keep stumbling along and keep having to find our way. But the Spirit of God says that He will help us in our weakness. He will strengthen us where we need help. He'll come beside us. So we love the Lord our God with all of our soul by living a life of faithfulness to all that the Lord has required of us. While loving the Lord with all of our heart has to do with affection, loving the Lord with our soul has to do with devotion. The soul is a part of us that defines who we are. The essence of biblical definition of the soul means life, personality, inner self, and our identity. It's where we make our decisions and choices that ultimately decide our lifestyle and behavior. Kind of think of the of, of the soul as the core you. You know, they've got this thing where, you know, they're just, people are crazy about trying to live forever and they've got this, I can't even remember. I, I, it's right back here in the back of my mind, but it's not coming forward. It's where they take and freeze your brain. What's that called, Matt? Yeah, what he said. And, and so they freeze the brain thinking that at some point they're going to be able to insert the brain into somebody else's body to make it function. But when you look at what the scripture just says here, you worship God with your heart. Now we get a heart transplant, right? But that's just because they take somebody's old heart out, throw it in the trash can and put a, a, a new heart in there, transplant it. doesn't mean that your heart, you have the heart of of somebody else that's making your decisions for you, making you feel the way you feel. That's not what it means. That's the muscle. When it talks about the heart, that's the center seat of who we are, of how we think and feel and worship God. So we have our heart. The Bible says we worship God with our heart. We love God with our heart. It says that we love God with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. In other words, there's four categories. And, and there's three of those categories that are going to quit to function at some point. The body and the heart and the mind, they're going to quit functioning, but it's the soul that's going to go on. But guess what? Your soul is who you are. Your soul is who you are 
on your personality. That's who God knit together in your mother's womb is who you are, your soul, your personality. All that comes together. And so what we want to do is we want to love God with all of our soul, which means to love Him in the way that we live, the choices we make, and in the behavior and lifestyle we adopt. So there are three uh, predominant ways to love God with our souls. Number one, love the Lord your God with your, all your soul is by making godly choices. Our lives are the sum of our choices we make. Plain and simple. Our choices show what we are committed to. They reflect the core values defining us, displaying our lifestyle before the world. If somebody were to look at you and, and just watch you for one week, watch everything that you do, they would define who you are and what you think about God. Hope you feel like I feel. That's a little unnerving. Man, who wants somebody to know that? What we value, what we do, if we treasure our relationship with Jesus, our choices will simply mirror our treasure. Choices flow from what we Treasure most. It's springtime, right? We hope it's springtime. I mean, we have a flood and there's no rain coming out of the sky, so that must mean it's springtime. I drove through water to get here this morning. Anybody else have to drive through water to get here this morning? You guys are all a bunch of sissies. I can't believe it. My wife did. She's not sissy. But springtime typically means that um, boys do stupid things. I don't know what it is. There's something in the air. There's some kind of pollen to where it, it goes into their nose and pretty much their brain checks out. Because it's a girl that they've, they've known for like 20 minutes and they're down buying flowers and chocolates and they're doing all kinds of stuff. And they just think, man, I'm so in love with this girl. And, and so they, you know, they're just going to surprise her with all these great things that they're going to do. And so they drive up to her house and they, they're getting all this junk that they just bought for this girl together. And they, they're outside their car and they're pulling it out and they stand up and look up and see the girl making out with some guy on her front step. And he's like, ah! That is, is, is the stupidity of, of what we think. That's, you know that their, their treasure right at that moment is 15 minutes of being in love with a girl. Because they threw everything they had in 15 minutes at this relationship. But if you treasure Jesus, if you treasure God with all of your heart, within your soul, you will see who you love. You need to ask yourself, how do I spend my money? What do I do with my time? What kind of things do I read? What programs do I watch? What do I do for entertainment? Where do I go for relaxation? What things give me comfort in difficult times? What kind of friends do I have? Those, you answer those questions, will reflect the treasure of your heart. All those results in choices that demonstrate whether we love God with all of our soul. Number two, Love the Lord your God with all your soul by pursuing 
obedience to his word. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Love must be demonstrated. When we keep his commandments, when we, when we live by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God, we are tangibly expressing our love for the Lord. Now, I've been happily married for almost 34 years. And in those 34 years, I've made some decisions based on love that I did not feel like making. But I did it anyways. I'm obedient to the covenant that I made with my wife. I am going to love her. Now, I've had to make a lot less of those decisions than she's had to make with me. But it's a covenant that I made before God. And so I said, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, until death shall separate us. Notice I didn't put richer or poorer in there because in ours it would just be poorer or poorer. But there are decisions that you make. You make those decisions because you're committed to the covenant between you and God. That's that first covenant. Then, it, it, because you're committed to that covenant between this way, then that is much easier. You do it over here. Even though you don't feel like doing it, you're committed to this, you're committed to that. That's why the second part of this great commandment is vital. Sometimes we're not going to feel like loving God, but we do it out of love for God nonetheless. Sometimes we don't feel like loving our neighbor, but out of obedience to God's word, we love. We, we, we come first to obedience, and as we are obedient to God, our feelings will fall in line with God's word. Number three, Love the Lord your God with your soul by pursuing a life of humility in attitude and speech. Embracing humility is the stage where we can express our love for the Lord. Jesus taught us how to love from a place of meekness, serving even to the point of death. That's what Jesus did. Meekness is power and privilege under control. It speaks of restraint in the use of power except to promote love. Meekness is not to be confused with weakness, which is the absence of strength. Meekness is strength under control. Weakness is the absence of strength. Wrong speech will ultimately affect our spiritual lives and work against us. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You really want to know what your heart is like? Listen to the words that you say. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've kind of, this is going to sound really weird, I've had an out-of-body experience. I don't really mean that I, but there are times when I've heard my, I, I, it's like, here's me, and then there's the other me over here watching this me. And I hear that guy talking to, to the love of his wife, and I'm going like, how can you even say that? That's wrong. If your mom were around, she'd stick a bar of soap in your mouth for saying that. Your dad would beat your hindquarters until they fell off. You need to knock that off. And all of a sudden, I'm going like, oh, man, that was stupid. Why did I do that? And I come back, 
And I'm like, my mouth is either going to bring life or it's going to bring death. And it starts with how I worship and love God from my soul. When our affections are captured, then choices become God-centered and a lifestyle of humility and godliness is born. This is loving God with all your soul. Now, when we are loving God with all of our soul, we are centered. Our life is centered. So let me just give you a few things on this real quickly. A soul without a center has difficulty making decisions. A centered soul on Christ is able to resist temptation and make the sacrifices that are worth making. A soul that is not centered on Christ feels constantly vulnerable to people or circumstances. A centered soul on Christ takes refuge in God, as Psalms 57.1 would say. A soul without a center lacks patience. A soul, a centered soul is at rest. And, and that is why Jesus said, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your soul centered on Jesus. A soul without the center is easily thrown. A soul centered on Jesus can hang on easily. A soul without a center finds identity in externals. A soul centered in Jesus always knows it has a heavenly father who will hold its anxiety, fear, and pain and deal with it in a way that we never could. Do you love, worship, know, experience, encounter Christ with all of your soul? Father, we thank you that your word is alive to us. And like we've already learned, that it is actively involved in all aspects of who we are. And so as we come to this place now, where we are going to gather around your table, Jesus, we're going to celebrate what you have done for us. Help us to think through this process that we would think about what it means to, to follow you, to love you, to worship you, to know you, to have an encounter with you, with all of our soul. And as we come to the table, help us to be mindful of those things, to think about it and worship you in that. Praise in Jesus' great name. Amen. I'm going to